Our scripture reading for today is taken from 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you are following along in your pew Bible, that is on page 658. If you're following along in your own Bible, you're going to have to find that on your own because I don't know the page number. Uh, but it's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us or to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you look in your uh, bulletin, there's something new there. And it's, it's right below where it says scripture reading, and that's a catechism. And catechism is just a fancy word for a teaching. And uh, there are 52 of these, and over the you're going to see them not necessarily every week, but on a regular basis. And uh, we're going to do this as a responsive reading. I will read the part that says reader, and then where it says church. And by the way, that's you and I. That's not this building. Uh, then you will follow. And what I would ask you to do is it can, it, this can become very routine where we read it without even looking at what we're reading. As you're reading it, think about what it says. So let me start by, the, by being the reader. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Good morning. Happy New Year. Hope you had a great week and a great time. Uh, good uh, holiday. Uh, I was thinking about Happy New Year. So uh, that means resolutions abound this morning, right? This is the new year. We, we often do that. Right? It's just kind of the cycle. We say new year and we start to try to do new things and certain things will come up. Undoubtedly sitting in here in church on Sunday morning, January 6th, uh, several of you, I would guess, started a, a read through the Bible in a year plan. And January 6th, you're probably still on track, 
right? You're still, you're still with it and on it, and I hope, hope that's the case. You know, last year we did that. We published those in the bulletin. We're doing that again if you want to read through it with us. Just a good reminder so we can be reading through that together and, and helping one another in that. But, uh, you know, oftentimes with the New Year, not only, uh, you know, read through the Bible and different things, but we'll see different things like uh, – a diet or I'm going to start eating better or I'm going to exercise or the things that come up. Actually, we were talking this week. I heard this said that, that the grocery stores actually order a bunch more of the healthy stuff for the first five weeks of the year, right? They stock a lot more like light bread and skim milk and all those kind of things. And the reason they do so is because we, we last about five weeks, right? So they do it for five weeks. And, and it's funny because I heard that and here we are starting this series today and I'd planned to do a five week series. And I thought, how about that? <laughs> here it is. And so we're going to do five weeks and we're just simply doing this growth in Christ, or we could call it growth in grace, or just simply what the Bible calls big fancy word of, of sanctification. And that is growing in the Holy Spirit, growing closer to God and walking that out. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. And, and so this first part of this, we're going to be in Second Peter chapter 1, which Larry just read for us. This first part, we're really going to look at big idea, big picture of this. And then each week we're going to get more specific on things that we can do and practices we put into place as believers that help us in that and, and walking closer to God. And so as we do that this morning, uh, we're going to be in, as I said, in Second Peter. That's on page 658 if you want to follow along in the Bible that looks like this. These are the Pew Bibles. If you're visiting with us, And you don't have a Bible or you need one, we would love for you to take these. They're our gift to you. If you need a Bible, those are there for your taking. And and I also just want to point out to you a couple of things that I I try to remember to say, but I often forget. There's actually a rough, just big idea outline in the bulletin that goes with the sermon each week. And if you weren't aware of that, some people like to scribble things down, take notes. That helps to see it there. If that's you, then that's there for you. If it's not, then don't worry about it. But it's there to help you. But we're going to look at this second Peter together, but before we do, let's pray and then we'll we'll jump into this passage. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a new year. We thank you for the many blessings of this past year. We pray that as we open your word this morning that uh, we would just have a, a new outlook, a, an excitement to come to your word and to hear what you say to us today. We pray that as we open it, that your spirit would move mightily in this place, that you would open our eyes and our ears, that you would give us uh, just soft hearts that, that apply what you're saying to us in our word and making it true in our lives. And I pray that you would do that. We just confess, as we always do when we open your word, without you doing that, we are hopelessly lost. So we need you in this place this morning to do that and to, to come and to show us and to teach us. And so we ask that you would. We pray that our time here, the words that are spoken, everything that's said would be accord with your will and would be pleasing and honoring to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we think about big idea of growing in grace, growing in Christ, growing closer to God, uh, we're going to ask three questions this morning of first of second Peter chapter one. And we're going to go at it like this. First of all, how do we even begin? How do we even get started to to grow and to know God and to come to him? And then secondly, how do we continue in that growth? And then lastly, how do we know if we're getting anywhere? How do we see? How do we even judge this or how does this come to be? And so we're going to say, how do we get started? How do we continue? And then how do we know that we're getting anywhere? So let's just start right in chapter one with how do we even begin in the letters here? The epistles like this. This is what we call an epistle. uh, Peter writing a letter to the church, the epistles, the different letters. And, And as we read this, this first verse, it's just a greeting. 
But there is so much in these letters as we read them in the greeting. And listen to what Peter says just in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we get this picture right at the beginning that Peter's writing to the church, right? Peter says, I, an apostle, one of the original 12 that went everywhere with Jesus, one of the leaders in the church at this time. We think he was writing probably in the 60s A.D. Churches growing. Peter's writing to the church. They would write a letter. It'd be circulated around and the churches would read it. And so he's writing to new believers and writing to people that are coming to faith. And he's saying, I, one of the apostles, one of the ones that walked with Jesus and saw him and, and did this. And then notice what he says, though, to us. And it's to the church. It's to us today, just as it was to them. And he says, I'm writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he says this thing right at the beginning that we have the same righteousness. We have the same standing before God. It's it's interesting when you think about here's Peter, one of the the heads in the church and everybody knows Peter. And oh, yeah, that's Peter that knew Jesus and was and all these things. And he says, you have the same standing. You have the same standing before God. And the reason he says that, he says, the reason that you have that standing before God is it's because of the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's righteousness for you in Jesus. So it's the same standing. So we're all the same. Peter will talk about it in, in similar terms in uh, in first Peter chapter two, when he talks about how the royal priesthood of believers that we're all priests that there's a royal priesthood, that we come to God in the same way, and that's through Jesus and what he's done for us. And so I, I like to think of that picture of Peter, that Peter, the, the head of the church, this guy that's doing all these things, that's one of the big guys, big play, and he says we all have the same standing. And we have the same standing because of what Jesus has done for us. Our righteousness is not our own, but it's that in Christ that's given for us. It's that same righteousness. We say this often and we talk about that a lot, but a good way to say it and a good way we often talk about it in the churches is do versus done. If you've ever heard that before, our righteousness before God is not by what we do, but by what Jesus has done. And so that's why he can say we all have the same standing. You've, you've come into this faith that you're in the same spot with God because of Jesus. And so we see that right there just even in the greeting. But if you read further and you start to look even at the language that Peter uses, he, he continues to bring this in and to show this. Look at verses 3 and 4 and just listen to the way he talks about our faith and what's happening to us. And so he says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us precious and great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Just look at the way he talks there in verse three. He's granted to us all. He has called to he has who has called us and he says to is granted to us. And you see that the way Peter talks, God has done this thing for you. Your right standing before God is because of what Jesus has done for you. And he's called you and he's granted these promises to you and he's given you these things. And that all goes right back to what he's saying there in verse one, that our righteousness, that we have this equal standing because we're all in Christ. And it's what he does. And so when we start to think about how do we even begin to get closer to God and to walk that out and to see that, I want us to be so clear 
always so clear that our standing before God is because of what Jesus has done for us. We say that over and over, but that can never become rote. That can never become just common. We need to grasp that and hold on to that, that it's what Christ does for us. You know, C.S. Lewis makes this argument so brilliantly in uh, Mere Christianity, if you've ever read that book. And, and while you're making New Year's resolutions and you're thinking of things, I'd go ahead and say to you, read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis if you haven't. It's well worth your time. It's a wonderful book. And he just comes through and tells you everything, walks you through Christianity and why it makes sense to him. And it's a brilliant mind. But one of the things that Lewis says in Mere Christianity is that God didn't come to make nice people nicer. He came to make us new. He came to make us new creations and new people. And so this picture of of what Christ does for us. And then he comes down and he didn't just come to give us a set rules. And here's some things you follow. And here's some things you try to attain. And if you do it well enough, then I'll accept you. That's not how it works. It's the opposite. He comes to do what we can't do for us. And then he gives it to us as a gift. And we have to be so certain that we see that as the beginning, the first step in growing closer to God has to be through what Christ has done for us. You know, I love the way uh, he says it here when he says the divine power has been granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That God does this thing and he gives us graciously. But I love the picture that's in Ephesians 2 says it so clearly when we consider how we begin Ephesians 2 says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved, right? You were dead. Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit opens your eyes. You see Jesus and then you're alive. And that's how you begin through what Christ does for you. And so we have to see that so clearly That the work begins by the Holy Spirit opening our eyes and seeing Christ and putting our faith in his work for us. And so that's the the how we begin. And we have to say that because that is so foundational to everything. That's how we begin to be. That's how we're made righteous with God. That's how we know him. That's how we can come to him. But then the second part I want us to think about is how do we continue in that? How do we grow in that? Now, what do we do? Right. Do we. Just sit back and relax or we there's some part that we do or how do we get involved? And so there's a couple things I want us to think about. And the first thing I'd say is how do we grow in that? How do we begin to to walk that out and to see that? I would say, first of all, it's the same way that we're saved. It's the first part. It's the same way we begin. And what I mean by that is when we read in Scripture and we talk about how we're a new creation and what happens, the engine that drives that is the Holy Spirit. Right? We put our faith in Christ. And we trust and then God gives us his very spirit to live inside of us. And so when we start to think about how do we continue, we continue by walking in the spirit, letting the Holy Spirit work in us and do these things. He's the power, the engine that drives it. Right. Uh, When you think about the Holy Spirit and, and what he does, what God comes and does in your life when you put your faith in Christ and you trust him. I'm just going to hit a couple things real briefly because we're going to come back and kind of get deeper into some of these the next few weeks. But just big picture what the Holy Spirit does in our life. First of all, the Holy Spirit comes in and he convicts us and exposes our sin, convicts us of sin and shows us where we're missing things and where we've got it wrong. He comes in and and not only does he show us and, and begin to bring them to mind, he begins to change our affections. Not only does he expose them, he then shows us how we don't want those things anymore. 
Right? Jesus, the night before he would die in John 15, talks about, I'm going to go away. And he's been telling the disciples over and over, I'm about to die and I'm going away. And this thing's about to happen. And they are so confused and they're going, what is he talking about? He can't die. All these things, they're just, they're just not quite getting it. But Jesus says this wonderful thing. And I love this verse in John 15, starting in verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, when you're reading in John 14 and 15, you see Jesus use that term, the helper, over and over. And he interchanges it with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, and I I read this verse over and over, and I, I think if you're sitting there physically with Jesus, listening to him, talking to him, you can touch him, you can ask him questions. And he says, it's better for you that I go away. Because when I do, I'm going to send you the spirit to live inside of you. And then, it, and then in verse 8, he says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to come and he'll, he'll open your eyes to see your sin and he'll begin to show you and he'll begin to do this work in you. And it's going to be better because if physically being with Jesus, yes, he's there and you could ask him questions. Having the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Never apart, always there leading you and guiding you and helping you. And so the first thing we see the Spirit does is He convicts us of sin. Not only that, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we, you, you'll notice if, if you're paying attention and you're, you're watching these things, even in our service, every time I stand up to preach, we do a prayer of illumination, whether you know that that's what it is or, or not. Sometimes we actually print that and we say that's what we're doing. Sometimes I just do it like today. And simply what I pray is that the Holy Spirit would come and teach us, would open our eyes to see the word, that that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture tells us, that Jesus says, I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to send my helper. Actually, in John 14, he says it this way. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. But whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And the words that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. But then he says this. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. Right. So Jesus, again, telling us it's going to be better and I'm going to go away and the Holy Spirit's going to come. and He's going to convict you of sin. But not only that, he's going to teach you all things. We were watching in Sunday school and they were with those catechism questions and walking through and teaching and, and, and pointing to those things. And, and one of the gentlemen talking, I forget who it was this morning, but he was talking about when he got saved. And he put his faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit came in. And he said, I went back to my room and I started reading my Bible and suddenly I was underlining all these things. And all the stuff that I hadn't seen before were jumping off the page. And that's what scripture tells us, that the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to teach you. And to show you and bring to remembrance. You know, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 2. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. There's an understanding. There's this work that the Holy Spirit does as he begins to teach you and to show you and to illuminate God's word. And so that's why we say that each each week. We are in big trouble if it's just me talking. We need the Holy Spirit desperately to come and show us or we're lost. And that we have this this promise that he comes and he does that. But that's not all he does. He actually teaches us, tells us that he, he, he leads us and he teaches us. He helps us pray. He teaches us how to pray. 
It says that we don't really know how to pray and the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to lead us and to teach us. And there's times when we don't know what to pray. And it says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. That we don't even know what to say. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, but I often get that way with my children. I go and pray for them while they're sleeping and I look at them. And I go, what do I pray? And I just say their name and I know the Spirit goes, I gotcha. It's okay. You just overwhelmed with, I'm not sure how to do this here. And God says, I'm there and I've got it and I'm leading you and I'm helping you and I'm doing it for you. And so we, he helps us in prayer. But not only that, when you take all these things together and just thinking of the work of the spirit in our lives is, is he does that and he shows that and he teaches us and he convicts us all the while. He's showing us clearly who we are. He's revealing our sin. But at the same time, he's saying, but I love you. I love you and I've come to you in Christ and I've done this thing for you and you're forgiven. And he comforts us and doing all that and showing us and teaching us all along the way. It points us more clearly to who Christ is and his glory. And so the work of the spirit is to glorify the son to show us Christ and what God has done for us and to show us more clearly So it's a beautiful picture of what the Holy Spirit does and how he is the engine that drives all this. He's the one that comes in and takes dead people and makes them alive to God. And without that, we're lost. But here's the second part of this. And I want us to think about this a little bit this morning. What part do we have? Do we become Christians and we put our faith in Jesus and we say we get the Holy Spirit and then we lay back and go, all right, do your work, Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to. Hold on for the ride and I don't have to do anything. That's not what scripture teaches. Actually, I was reading a book this week and I really like I I would again, your New Year's resolutions. I'll go ahead and tell you the hole in your holiness by Kevin DeYoung. And it's about sanctification. It's about growing closer to God. It's not a real big book, not real hard to read, but he makes some really good points. And he says this very clearly. I like the way he said it. So I went ahead and copied this down. The New Testament calls upon us to take action. It does not tell us that the work of sanctification or growing closer to God is going to be done for us. We are in the good fight of faith. We are and we have to do the fighting. But thank God we are enabled to do it from the moment we believe we are justified by faith and we are born again of the spirit of God and we have the ability. So the New Testament method of sanctification is to remind us that and having reminded us of that, it says now then go and do it. And so the, the, the scriptures and the New Testament is full of this, of now you're to be, you're empowered by God and you have a new lease on, you're literally a new creation and God is in you. Now go walk that out. You see that even uh, right here. Actually, before I even get there, I was trying to think of a good example, and maybe this isn't the best example, but I was trying to think of a good example. You're new creation in Christ and you have all these things. You have God at your very disposal, the spirit moving in you to do this work. And I was thinking about what would it uh, be like, uh, and my mind goes to athletic analogies a lot of times, but let's just say you're born an exceptional athlete. We're talking world-class athlete, 0.001% of all people, right? You can run a 40-yard dash in 4.2 seconds, and you're strong, and you're quick, and you're all these things, and you have every tool available to you to be a great, great football player. Right. You're big and you're strong and you all these things. You're 16 years old. And let's take this step further. Right. You've got all this at your disposal. And your next door neighbor is uh, Joe Montana. 
retired NFL Hall of Famer. And he comes over and he says, hey, I've noticed that you're really fast. You're all these things. I want to help you. I'll do drills with you. I'll help you. We'll study film together. I'll teach you how to read defenses. I'll do all this stuff with you. And so the, paint that picture and you see that. Now, now what happens to this person, this fictional person, if they lay on the couch and they eat potato chips every day and play video games? Do they become the greatest NFL player that's ever been? No, they don't. Even with all those things, even with all the ability and all the things and all these things at their disposal, there's still a part that you play in, in being involved and in, in going after it and beginning to, to work through that and to, to do your best. And, and that's what it says right here. Look at what Peter says, just starting here in the, the middle of verse four and then going on. Right. He says, so he's given you all these promises so that you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. But then listen to what he says in verse five. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And so he paints this picture of of now make every effort. Right. And we have to be so clear. And I want to make sure that we see this so clearly as we're coming to this. You are saved by faith alone in what Jesus has done for you, right? He's just told you, you have this standing. Your righteousness is because of our God and Savior, Jesus. He says his divine power was granted to us all. And then he says uh, he's granted to us precious and great promises. All these things that he's saying God has given you. By the way, I want you to just think about that for a second. When he says he's granted to us precious and great promises, how does God grant us Precious and great promises. Has he grant? We say it every week. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. The promises of what he's given us. When we come to the table each week, we say, this is the new covenant poured out in my blood for you. Right. This is the new promise. This is everything the Old Testament was talking about. And it's all coming to fulfillment in Jesus. And he says, now it's given to you by my blood. Right. So it's granted to us by what Jesus does for us. He gives it to us. Right. But then the flip side of that is, is so Peter's just told us all this. He's granted you these promises. He's doing all this. And then he says, for this very reason, make every effort. When you lay a hold, when you have faith in Christ and what he's done and you realize it, that should lead you to now go after it with all you have. And that doesn't mean that you're earning your worth before God. That's what we want to make it mean. In our sinful hearts, because we're selfish, we want to make it about us and what I do for God. That's not it. You're standing before God as you are perfect because you've been given Christ's righteousness. Right? All Christ's work, we talked about this last week if you were here, are given to you. Jesus gives them, imputes them, hands them to you. Before God, you're perfect. But in our sinfulness, in ourself, as we're walking, we're still trying to make it clear in the way we live. And so what we do is now we make every effort to walk that out, to begin to walk it out in our daily lives. And so we're supposed to make every effort. This is not just I'm not just picking one verse out in in second Peter. I actually started writing down verses and I had to cut a bunch out. But just listen to the way the New Testament talks about walking after God and what that looks like. Romans eight says, by the spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. 
Ephesians 4, put off your old self and put on the new. Colossians 3 commands us to put to death what is earthly in us. Timothy, 1 Timothy 6 urges us to fight the good fight of faith. Luke 13 exhorts us to strive to enter the narrow gate. 1 Corinthians 9 speaks of running a race and disciplining the body. Philippians 3 talks about pressing and straining forward. Colossians 1, struggling with all energy as Christ works within us. Or Revelation 2 and 3, you see Jesus talk about the reward of eternal life for those who conquer and who overcome and who keep pressing forward. Or Hebrews 12 that says, lay aside every sin and now run the race with endurance. And you see it over and over and over. And that's the picture of, yes, you are saved and you are made right by Jesus. But now this is what it looks like to live it out. That you make every effort and you run after it and you keep going and you keep pressing on. And that's the picture. That's what we're to be doing. And so it takes us to the last part. How do we know we're making any progress? That's the hard part sometimes. Right. We, we read this and we think about it. And, and look, look at what Peter says in uh, verse eight. He just gave you this list of things that should be increasing and growing. And then he says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the picture of being a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean I became a Christian and now I have the Holy Spirit and I do everything right and I do it all perfectly. But what it means is that you're growing, that you're taking steps and you're walking it out and you're becoming and you're seeing change. And see, oftentimes what happens is we all every single one of us, when we become a Christian or, or when we say a baby believer or a new believer, then maybe you've never maybe you're never exposed to the Bible and, and later in life, you become a Christian and then you start to read it and you go, I don't know anything. I don't know where to begin. And, I, and you've got a long way to go. Maybe you live 60 or 70 years opposing God and not walking with him. And then you become a Christian. You've got a lot of baggage there, right? There's a lot of things that have been in your life and habits that have been formed. And to begin to walk those out and to walk, it's, it's little steps. And so what that looks like is over time, we begin to, to make new headway and you start, you, you start to... Uh, yield to the spirit more and more and he brings sin to mind and you you confess and you repent and you stop those things and you start new habits and you begin to walk it out and what happens sometimes though is we get in the middle of that and we go i'm still messed up right i'm still frustrated sometimes or i still lose my temper or i'm not doing this that well and and so we can start to beat ourselves up and i think that's one of satan's great tools you're not as far along as you should be yeah, you're saying he'll say, are you really saved? Because I don't see it. I'm not sure you've got you got a little bit. But, you know, and we start to go, oh, I'm not sure. And we start to kind of fall back into that. But I want you to think when you think, how do I measure? How do I see? Look back over the last year or last two years or three years. If you do it week to week and you have a bad week, you're like, oh, I'm terrible. I'm not doing it. Right. But you look back over time and you start to see, you know, he's talking about the things that were to be growing. in. I mentioned at the beginning, just reading through the scriptures in a year, we put we started putting those in January one last year. And we started talking about reading through the scripture. And I've had a lot of people come to me and say, I love that. And I'm reading through it. And so hopefully if that's you, you can look back on the last year and go, man, I read through the whole Bible this year, maybe for the first time. And I'm seeing things that I didn't see before. And, I, and even though I don't have it all together, I see steps I've made in the last year and how God's working and how he's bringing that 
along. And so to be a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're growing. It means you're moving along that line. Now, look at what he says in verses 9, 10 and 11, because there is a strong warning here. And I don't want to just skip that. We wouldn't be faithful to this text if we don't go through those verses. Look in verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is not so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten what he has, that he has been cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want you to make sure you see the seriousness of this. And again, this is not an isolated text. You see it in Hebrews 4 and in James 2. And this this picture and the warning that is there is that if you profess to know Christ and there is no growth, if there's none, You can't see any change in your life. What the Bible says is you don't understand it. You don't really know Jesus. If there's nothing in your life to to point to that. Now, that does not mean, please hear me, that does not mean you're saved by your works. What it means is your works are evidence that you're saved. And if there are no works, there's no evidence to point to that you understand this. And so what it tells us over and over is to make sure that you're taking uh, stock of where you are and looking at it and make sure you're walking that out and you're striving after him every single day. That you're you're doing these things and you're trying to see the growth and you're you're walking after him. That God is changing you. The Holy Spirit moves in you and he works and he changes you from one degree of glory to the next. And he's working and he's not going to let you down. He's not going to fail you in that. But you're to walk with him and to be doing those things. And so as we end today, I wanted to say a couple things. One, if you're If you're not sure today, if I say that and that scares you, you say, I don't know. Or I walked down the aisle 20 years ago, but 20 years ago I was an angry, uh, arrogant person that wasn't nice to people. But I'm still an angry, arrogant person that's never nice to anybody. And you start to go, I don't know where I've changed. That that if that's you and that's in your heart and you're hearing that, that's the Holy Spirit revealing to you. He's saying, repent, turn to me. You know, in Hebrews four, right in the middle of this, this type of warning, it says in verse seven today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. And so if you're unsure and you don't know what that looks like, I would say to you, stop today and pray and ask him to come into your life and make changes and start to walk after him. Do what Peter's telling you, begin to be all the more diligent and walk after him all the way, accept the free gift of new life in Christ and what he's done for you and then begin to live it out. Or maybe you sit here today and beginning of the year and your new year res- resolutions and all those things. And you say, yeah, I've seen growth and I'm, I'm certain and I know Christ and I'm, I'm growing, but I'm not really where I want to be. I'm not growing at the rate that I would like. Maybe I've got some little steps or I've, I've hit kind of a dry patch or, or wherever it is. And so my, my words to you would just be not my words, but God's words to you. Verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So I'd say to you, be all the more diligent. And then I would say, look at verse 5 with me and say, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And so I tell you to be all the more diligent and then to make every effort. 
And then the last thing I'd say to you, and I hope this is an encouragement and it's not a downer and you're not, oh, this is. But then I would say, look at verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory. Right. So so you have everything you need in the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes it can be overwhelming and you can go, yeah, I'm not where I should be and I need to be doing other things and I'm not sure how to do that. Guess what? That's why you're here. That's why we're a body together. When you go, I'm not sure what to do next. Come ask. Grab an older brother and sister in Christ and say, I'm not sure what to do here. I want to do this. I want to make every effort. I want to walk in these ways, but I'm not sure how to begin. That's why God puts us together like this. So we can encourage one another and we can help one another and we can say, yeah, I've been there. I know exactly what you mean. Let's walk this out together. We need one another. We need that picture. It's all throughout scripture. It's all of us doing this together. So don't sit there and go, I don't know. Do I need help? Well, guess what? So do I. We all do. That's why we're here together to worship and to encourage and to do that. And so as we end, just hear this from First Thessalonians and then we'll pray. I like when I can end with scripture because it says it much better than I could. But here, First Corinthians five. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then hear this. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the glorious, glorious gift that we have in Christ, that our righteousness is not our own, but Jesus for us. And we thank you. We thank you for that. We pray that that would be in the hearts and minds of all of us today, that we would be so thankful for what you've done for us. I pray that your spirit would come and just uh, inspire us, work in us. I pray that we would be quick to make every effort to be diligent in walking after you, that we would seek to glorify you in our bodies and in our lives and the things we say and what we do. And we pray that you just continue. We thank you for your patience and your mercy and your grace. I pray that we would together love you all the more. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.